This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. I want you to take your Bibles tonight as we continue this study and let us look together in Revelation chapter 3. And uh, our discussional verse tonight comes from verse number 5. And we have been talking about this for the last couple of weeks and uh, it has taken us into this journey of uh, explaining some very important principles and precepts in the Word. There's a very classic passage of Scripture in which we reference the Apostle Paul many, many times. He said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. The first part of that verse, I know whom I have believed. I would say secondly tonight, not only is the paramount issue knowing whom you have believed, but also it's imperative that you know what you believe. A lot of times people are so out of tune or out of step, out of touch with the scriptures and even out of church to where they cannot even intelligently, and I use that word uh, in, in a very light situation, but they cannot engage with spiritual conversation. And the word teaches us to compare spiritual things with spiritual things. And the way that you get to know what you believe is to study the Word. That's how you show yourself approved unto God. You have to study the Word. Now, in this scripture here, because we are studying Revelation verse by verse, word for word, in Revelation 3, 5, again, John is the writer. He's on an island called Patmos. The year is A.D. 96. He's been placed on this island because of his testimony of Jesus, his preaching of the gospel. And uh, the scripture says here, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. Now, we have made mention of verse 4 and 5 considering this white raiment aspect of Scripture. I don't have time to be repetitious there. But something very interesting that we've been using for the last several weeks, and I want to thank you for praying for Gail and I. We had a wonderful trip. It's good to be back. And uh, I'm thankful for Brother David that covered for us last Wednesday evening. But it says here, and I will and look at this very carefully, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now, look at this, because out of this particular verse, when the scripture says this, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, the question comes, well, pastor, is it possible that for some reason God would take our names out of the book of life? Is it possible that we could lose our salvation? 
And then out of this verse comes the next point of discussion. Is the book of life the same as the Lamb's book of life? We're talking about those issues in this particular verse. From this verse, we have talked about the doctrine of salvation. As I have said today, and if you have heard me say almost in these last 40 years of being the pastor here, and I said it today in the funeral service, and I asked the congregation that had gathered for the funeral this morning, I said, listen, do not judge the statement until you have heard it all. I said, I'm going to say something very controversial and very speculative for many people. But don't judge it till it's over. And I made this statement, and you have heard me make it many, many times. I said, Jesus Christ is not your best way to heaven. He's not the good way to heaven. He's not a better way to heaven. He's not an alternate way to heaven. And then I said, Jesus is your only way to heaven. And that's what we believe. He said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh to the Father but by me. So we know that Jesus is the way, and he is the only way. We have learned in this particular study the doctrine of salvation. How a person becomes born again. Jesus said you must be born again. We cannot go to heaven unless we're born again. Saved, washed in the blood, redeemed. And so in this particular passage, we have learned and we have studied the doctrine of salvation. We have also learned in this particular study how to have the assurance of our salvation. How does a person know that they're saved? Is it possible for a person to know for sure, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that they have been born again? Absolutely. So we've talked about the doctrine of salvation. We've talked about the assurance of salvation. Tonight, I want to talk briefly on the eternal security of salvation. You would be surprised how many times uh, over the last four or five decades that I have been asked the question, Pastor, do you believe that once you're saved, you're always saved? Do you believe that once you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that you can be forever washed in the blood? My answer emphatically is yes. I believe in eternal security. Our church doctrinally believes in eternal security. We believe once you have been saved, you are always saved. I've always thought about giving a generical answer like that. And many times it's in passing at the door. Somebody asks me a question over a dinner or something. I don't have time or an opportunity to give scriptures for this position, this belief. But tonight I want to do that. I want to take a moment. And these are scriptures, as I mentioned earlier, when we say it's important, first of all, to know whom we have believed, but secondly, it's important to know what we believe. And I'm going to give you tonight six or seven scriptures that are paramount 
Every single person here and watching by internet. And I hope you're taking notes at home as well. But every person here tonight, listen carefully. You need to know these verses. As it is important to know the doctrine of salvation, Jesus said you must be born again. How does a person do that? We, we have taken the time to give you the simple plan of salvation. A few Sundays ago in the Sunday morning service, I passed it out to everybody. I passed out what we have referred to a lot of times as the sinner's prayer. It's been prayed many different ways, but there's, there, there's a compass for us to follow. Every person here should have uh, the simple plan of salvation. It's not complicated. Jesus gave the invitation to children. He said, suffer the little children to come unto me. Listen, salvation is not of a certain age. I, one of the myths of Christianity that has been perpetuated in the church, and I say local New Testament church, not just precisely 819 Buford Road, but one of the th- myths that has been uh, propagated through uh, time is that you have to be 12 years old. You cannot be saved to you 12 years old. I don't know where that came from, but I will tell you that's not in the Bible. That's not scriptural. I was five years old. The year was 1963 when I became a believer. I trusted Jesus as my Savior. Now, do I under, did I understand it all then as a five-year-old child? Did I understand it all? Absolutely not. This is what I understood at five years old. I love him because he first loved me. I understood that he died on a cross for me. He shed his blood that his father God raised him from the dead. And if I would ask him to come into my heart and to forgive me of my sins, to cover me with his precious blood, according to the scriptures, he would come into me and sup with me. And as a little five-year-old boy, I knelt by the bedside with my mother and asked Jesus to come into my heart and be my savior. Now, have I ever doubted my salvation? Through the years from that point, absolutely. You see, the devil, he is a master thief. He's a liar. He's a murderer. And he will come against us in many ways, but one of the most effective ways that he comes against us is he attacks our mind. If he can get in your mind, he will get in your heart, and then you'll begin speaking deceptive things as well. That's how he works. He's a master thief. Now, in this whole thing that we've studied in Revelation 3, 5, we've learned the doctrine of salvation. You must be born again. There's no set age. Whenever you become aware of right and wrong, you become at that threshold of accountability. And the Holy Spirit begins. Now, I will say this. You just can't be saved anytime you want to. Some people have this idea. They live by this philosophy. I am going to live my, you'll be surprised. I know many. They have said to me, I'm going to live my life the way that I want to live. I'm going to sow my wild oats. I'm going to do all that I can to get all the gusto out of life. And then when I get down on my deathbed and I'm drawing my last fleeting breath, I'm going to ask Jesus then. I'm going to turn my life over to Christ. I will tell you this, most people who wait for that day die and go to hell. Do I believe in deathbed salvation? Absolutely. I've led many people to Christ on their deathbed, and it's only been by the grace and mercy of God that they've had that extenuated period of time. But I would not 
wait for a deathbed salvation. Because the scripture says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. God forbid, but any of us could die before we get to the mailbox out of the parking lot tonight. So listen carefully. Um, you just, you, you have to, the spirit of the living God has to convict a heart of sin. We have, we have to know that we are sinners. You can't, a person cannot be saved until they know that they are lost. And we are all born lost. We don't evolve into lostism. We are born lost, depraved, on our way to hell. The only thing that interrupts that is the old record cross, the precious blood of Jesus. So I hope you're not one of those who has this idea that you have to be 12 to be saved. Forget it. It's not in the Bible. So we know whom we have believed. Jesus said, I'm the way. We have to know what we believe. And this leads us to this point. Now, this is important. Every one of you, all of us tonight, need to be familiarized with these verses that I'm going to give you right now because they are incredible Bible truths that gives you the absolute assurity that you can have the assurance that you are eternally saved, that salvation is forever. David said, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And and I want to remind you of something, and I'll share it again here in, in just a moment. When When the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, imparted unto us everlasting life, David said, I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, he didn't say temporary life. Life until you commit some kind of terrible sin. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, how do we know we are eternally saved? Now, do we live like it at times? No, we don't. Do we mess up? Yes. Do we sin from the day we get saved? Absolutely. But thank God for the precious blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Scripture number one tonight, I want you to write this down in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. It comes from the Apostle Paul, and he says with great assurance, he said, for I am persuaded. That means he's totally convinced He has absolutely no doubt, no reservation in speaking these words. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able, look now, to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says with great assurance, nothing will ever be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 5, Peter speaks with great assurance. 
He says this, and he's talking about those who are in the fold, those who are born again. He says, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now that word kept is a powerful word, and we'll see more about that in just a few moments. I'm so thankful for the safekeeping hand of Jesus. But in John chapter 4, verse number 14, the word says, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never. Now, understand, it doesn't say up until you commit some terrible sin or until you decide you don't want to be saved. It says this, shall never. Now, let me ask you this. Does never mean never? But it's like this. Does everlasting mean everlasting? Or does eternal mean eternal? Obviously, absolutely yes. Shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Let me give you four more real quick. In John chapter 5, verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not, shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. But is passed from life unto death. Three more quickly. These are verses. I'm asking you to write them down, familiarize yourself with them, study them, learn them. You know, that's one of the things... We don't speak enough about as much as we did in my early days, in childhood days, as we should be talking about in church today, and that is Bible memorization. Bible memorization is important. You say, well, Pastor, in my old age, I just can't learn stuff like I used to. That might be true to some degree, but I will tell you this. You can learn. If you apply yourself, because the Holy Spirit will teach you. It's like the old song that says, sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. D.L. Moody said, the wonderful, the most wonderful teacher in all the world is repetition. So sing them over. All right, John six thirty seven. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him, look at this, that cometh to me, I will in no wise. That means for no reason. No reason I will in no wise cast out. One of my favorites in all of the Bible, in fact, this is probably the scripture that means more to me on the subject of eternal security than perhaps all the others, and that is John 10, 28. John 10, 28. And I give unto them eternal life, not temporary life, 
but eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any pluck any man, any man pluck them out of my hand. And that kind of goes along with what Paul was saying uh, in the first scripture that I gave you. And so to summarize all of that, we conclude these verses that I give you tonight with 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know, K-N-O-W, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So these are wonderful classic verses of Scripture that apply to eternal security. But let me say this in our lingering moments because I do want to spend a little time in prayer tonight. And I'm going to ask for volunteers if you'd like to come and say a prayer in the closing part of our service. By all means, I extend the invitation and opportunity to you. But let me say this, in all of the verses that I've just given you, and they are important to know, they're the bedrock of eternal security. But these verses do not give any Christian whatsoever a free pass to sin. That's, that's imperative. I have had people to tell me throughout the years, yes, you can, preacher, and you are wrong. And I, I am not prideful. If I am wrong, I'm wrong. But what good would it do me or you to try to prove points that are baseless and faithless. <clears throat> That's not what I'm about. But I've often wondered, in reference to people who believe that you can lose your salvation, here's the question. I, I want to close with this, but I want, I want to leave you with a thought tonight. For the people or the person who believes, oh, no, 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 you can lose your salvation. Out of all the scriptures that I have just given you on eternal security, and if a person is still feeling necessarily impaired to some degree to, to negate all of those scriptures and still at the end of the day believe you could lose yourself, oh yeah, yes you can, then my one question is this. If a person can lose their salvation... What sin would you have to commit to lose it? Think about that. Is it worldliness? Well, if a person goes back in the world, hey, Lot did that. Lot went, Lot not only pitched his tent towards Sodom, he moved into Sodom. But you find him in the great hall of faith. He was counted for righteousness. So we have to take worldliness. Now, you, you can't take this out of context. Are we to live above the world? Listen, we can do nothing in our own abilities. But we can do all things through Christ. Should we be salt and light? Absolutely. And there should be a peculiarness about us as believers. I don't have to walk around with a t-shirt that says I'm, I'm one of them or I'm a Christian. Now, I thank God for all the Christian t-shirts in the world. Keep wearing them. God bless you. 
But, but I don't have to do that. But I will tell you this, there ought to be something about my walk and my talk, and there ought to be something about my beliefs and my positions, my ideologies, my conduct, my behavior. There ought to be something in my life that separates me from the filth of the world that somebody can say, he's different. And I don't need a t-shirt or a neon light that blinks off and on me that says, but there should be something that people can say or see or feel. Something's different about him. But I will tell you this. If a person could lose their salvation, is it worldliness? Absolutely not. Lot did this. If a person could lose their salvation, what sin would it be? Would it be lying? Absolutely not. Abraham lied. Abraham lied on multiple occasions. What sin would it be? Would it be adultery? No, David did that. Would it be murder? Absolutely not. David did that as well. Would it be rebellion? Well, Jonah did that. Would it be forsaking the Lord for a period of time, walking away from him? Well, hey, Simon Peter did that. And a little later, Jesus is handing him the keys of the kingdom and saying, hey, lovest thou me? Feed my sheep. So we think about this. Would it be cussing? You shouldn't be cussing. But hey, Peter did that. What I'm saying is this. These things don't make us lost. They didn't make us lost to begin with. We were born into this world lost. Now, doing good doesn't save you any more than doing bad makes you unsaved. We're born lost. We're born into this world on our way to hell. And the only thing that can change that is the blood of Jesus. And once we have been redeemed and set free and changed, he says, no man. No man means this. Anybody else around you? And no man even means you. No man means no man. Whether it's this man, that man, or you man, nothing shall separate you. No man shall pluck you out of my hand. So you see, when we're born into the family of God, it's like this. A child could be wayward and weary, rebellious, and so 
ridiculously bent on going down life arbitrarily in the ways from the God of their fathers. And, and a home could be so hostile and, and so, so upheaval that, that a young person, somebody could say, I hate this family. I hate you, my mother. I hate you, my father. I don't want to be a part of this family anymore. I know I was born into this family, but I hate it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. In fact, I hate it so much, I want to be emancipated from this family, divorced from this family, and so I'm going to go down to the courthouse as soon as I turn 18, whatever the year is, and I'm going to change my name. I don't want to be associated with this family. Now listen, a person can do that all day long from daylight to dark. They can say, I want my name changed. But let me ask you this. Out of every legality that's known to man today, is there anything that a person in that sad state of mind could do that could change the fact that they were biologically born into that family? You see, no matter how much a rebellious child would want to unassociate themselves from the family, there is absolutely nothing they could do to change the fact that they were born into that family. It's done. And it's the same way when a person comes to Christ, when they've been born again, when they have been washed in the blood. We are born into the family of God And we can beat and batter ourselves all day long with lies from the devil. But I'll tell you this. Once you have been born into the family of God, you cannot be unborn any more than a child who changes her name can be biologically unborn from their earthly family. Well, I hope you have enjoyed the word tonight. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.